What if you knew the date of your death? What if you knew the date that you would die? Let's say, for instance, September 7th, 2025 would be the last breath that you would take. How would this change the way you live today? How would it change the way you live over the next three years? Well, for those who have trusted in Jesus, we have this sense that we've already died. Not the physical death that we all must face one day, but one that Paul speaks about in our passage that we're looking at today in Romans. See, in our study through Romans, death has been talked about quite a bit. Death is the punishment for our sin against our holy creator. As we saw in the last verse of chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. And it's through death that our sins are covered and that salvation is offered to us. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And those who believe in Christ are united with him in death. Romans 6.4 said, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This overarching question in chapters 6 to 8 is how believers in Christ are now to live in this new life, this new life of obedience to God. Now that we've been justified but not yet glorified. Now, remember, justified means that God has declared righteous those who believe in His Son. And glorified is when God will finally and fully bring believers into His very presence, completely transformed in a new sinless state. And that will happen at the end of the ages. It's this time in between. This, what we call the already and not yet. That's what Paul's concerned about here in chapter 6 to 8. Now in chapter 6, Paul showed that our union with Christ in his death and resurrection means that believers are no longer slaves to sin. And beginning chapter 7 today, we'll see another feature of this union with Christ in His death and resurrection. And that's our main point today. We die to the law through Christ and now belong to Him. We die to the law through Christ and now belong to Him. In this sermon, we're going to consider, one, Paul's question about the authority of the law. Secondly, an example to illustrate how we can be rightly released 
from that law. And then thirdly, how we serve God now through Christ. So let's begin with one, that question in verse 1. Paul is specifically addressing his Jewish audience. You see there, he's talking to those who know the law. And this question is about authority. Do, do the Jews need to continue to obey the law of Moses? And the way that Paul puts it here, he, he reveals his answer in his question. The law only has authority over a person while he is alive. And, and think about it. When you die, you won't obey the law. When you're lying in your grave, you will not care at all about what you need to do to get any comma or about paying taxes. You're dead. You don't care. And so united with Christ in death, believers are released from the law's authority. That's what Paul's telling us. And then he illustrates this through this law about marriage. We'll see that in the next point. Our example, or the example, marriage. Marriage is a covenant where a husband and a wife make promises to one another for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to have and to hold for as long as they both shall live. Right? That couple are bound together for as long as they both are alive. Now if one goes off with someone else while the other one is alive, it's called adultery. But if one spouse has died, the one remaining is released from that covenant that they've made together. And they're free to marry someone else. Well, you see, God made a covenant. God made a covenant with the Jews. And the law given through Moses outlined their promises to one another. The Jews bound themselves to God. He would be their God and they would be His people. And we see as we walk through the Old Testament, the Jews turn from their covenant. In fact, in, in Jeremiah 31, God picks up this language. He says, they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. And in many other prophets, God calls the Jews a wife of adultery because they turned away to other gods to serve them rather than the Lord God. So the question here that Paul is addressing is whether Jewish believers would be forsaking their covenant with God through that law. If they, if they come to faith in Jesus, are they, are they now breaking again a covenant that they had previously made? Should they continue to obey the law in order to live for God? 
Paul points out that uniting with Christ in his death, believers not only die to sin and the sinful nature, they also die to their former commitment to the law of Moses. They're now free to marry another. And and we all, Jew or non-Jew, we are free now through Christ to become the bride of Christ, the church. Now, having having died with Christ, we, we don't want to resurrect the law and obey it. No. The church now obeys Christ. If, if, if we were to follow or obey someone or something other than Christ, then it would be spiritual adultery. He now is our groom, and we, church, are the bride of Christ. Now, how, how might this play out today? This, this idea of spiritual adultery in the church. Well, when you're in trouble or in need, where do you turn first? You know, there's, a, there's a saying. When all else fails, pray. No. (laughs) No. No. The Christian way is to say, pray before anything else. Because he is our husband. Can you imagine a woman who who has trouble or, or... has 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 to be provided for and she turns to some other man to provide or protect her no church let's run to Christ or when you're lonely or bored when you're afraid or upset church turn to the lover of your soul turn to the lover of your soul he is the sunshine when all your life feels overcast He is the calmer of any storm that comes your way. He is your hope when all hope feels lost. He is your husband, church, your provider, your protector, and the one who promotes you. Now, while we're on this example of marriage, let's consider some applications related to marriage. Uh, First, a biblical definition of marriage. Marriage is a God-given union of one man to one woman. It is voluntary, intimate, and a public partnership with the purpose of glorifying God. So it's a one man, one woman union. It is voluntary, intimate, and a public Display or partnership with a purpose of glorifying God. The second thing, just to say about marriage before we get to some of those applications, is that Jesus had a very high view of marriage. Because, because marriage reflects the union of God with his people. And so 
any discussion about adultery or divorce or remarriage must be considered deeply. That is not a light matter. It is very serious. So, four, four different categories here I want to think through. One, is divorce wrong? It was Jesus who said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And Jesus mentions only one exception to calling divorce adultery. Every, every other thing he calls divorce adultery. Only in the case of sexual immorality. Now that being said, there, there, there may be times when abandonment or abuse may be grounds for divorce, but these matters should be discussed through much godly counsel and with great care. It is not something you should do on your own. Now let me just say right there, if you have already separated what God has joined together, if you, have, if you are separated or if you've already gone through a divorce, there is forgiveness in Christ. There is grace. Now to the married, the Lord says, keep the marriage bed pure in Hebrews 13.4. And as Proverbs 5.18 says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. So husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love her. And wives, respect your husband as the church does Christ. Third, for those who've married non-believers, or maybe you became a believer after you were married, what, what, what should I do there? Well, Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 16. And he says, if your non-believing spouse is willing to live with you, don't divorce. If they're willing. But in verse 5, 15, he goes on to say that if the believer leave, if the non-believer leaves, let it be so. You are not bound in such, such circumstances because God has called us to live in peace. Now, fourth category, are you thinking about being married one day? You're single, but you would like to be married. Choose your spouse very carefully, friends. This is a lifelong commitment. And again, very serious. It, it should be at least the second most important decision you would ever make in your entire life besides coming to faith in Christ. And consider how the church family can help and support you to choose wisely. Now remember, Paul brought up the illustration of marriage to help us see that in this 
union with Christ, we're not obligated to the law, but we are free to follow Christ. So let's continue on now in our third point as we get to verses 4 through 6, where Paul speaks about belonging to bearing fruit. Just a note on structure. In verse 4, Paul states clearly the point that he's making. And then in verse 5 and 6, he unpacks both sides. Our former life and the new life. So through union with Christ's death, believers die to sin and slavery to the sinful nature, and they are united with Him also in His resurrection to rise to a new life. That's what we saw in chapter 6. This new life is not to live for ourselves, but it's to be slaves to God. Well, now here in chapter 7, Paul says more about this. We die also to the law. And rising with Christ, we belong to Him. We belong to Him. But this belonging is not a possessing. No, it's, it's in a more intimate way. Like a bride and a groom belonging to one another. Think about, think about it this way. When I say that Chris is my wife, I'm not saying that I own her or I possess her. What I'm saying is that she's my wife and no one else's. In fact, I am appropriately jealous for her love and devotion. And so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. Believer, you belong to Him. And He is appropriately jealous for your love and devotion. Well, the result of our belonging to Christ is that we bear fruit. If we belong to Christ, we will bear fruit for God. And here's, here is a truth of the gospel that many people miss. And so let me just clear this up for us. This missed truth is that the gospel isn't ultimately about you or me. <laughs> sure, we are the beneficiaries of God's grace, but our salvation is is really more about His glory than it is about our glory or our benefits. The, the doctrines of grace make this very clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. His glory is the chief end of our salvation. And to really to understand that, we have to go, we have to go back to the beginning. We, you see, were made for God to reflect his image. But sin 
broke that image and caused this separation in our relationship with our God. Sin enslaved us and there was no way to be made right with God on our own. We must therefore receive the due penalty for our sin. As, as we said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But God, our hero, our husband, stepped in to redeem a people for himself. As Galatians says, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus redeemed us by dying the death that we deserved. And as Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And Jesus died on the cross to set us free from sin's curse, to set us free from the law. But friends, he conquered he conquered the curse of death itself by rising on the third day from the dead. His resurrection guarantees the promise of eternal life to all who look to him in faith. As Romans 6.23 continues, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you don't, you don't do anything to receive this gift but to trust in what He has done. And so, friend, live. Live through this good news to the glory of God. Believing the Gospel unites you with Him in His death and His resurrection. You die with Christ. That old self, that old sinful self is crucified with Him and you are free from sin. United with Christ in His death, we also die to the law. You die to that, that overwhelming burden of trying to justify yourself before God. How many of you have tried so hard to be good enough? Are you burdened? Burdened by your sin? Are you tired? Tired of trying to be right with God through your own efforts that you know fall short. Jesus died for you. Now if you want to trust in Jesus, come talk to me. Talk to one of the members of this church after the service. We'd be happy to share with you how Christ's death frees you. Now, believers, two applications about belonging to bearing fruit. One will be belonging means bearing fruit, and the other, belonging means serving. 
So what kind of fruit are you bearing? You believe in Christ, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Scripture says, Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. Now our sinful flesh bore fruit for death. That's what Paul said in the, in the, in the verse there, five. But now, belonging to Christ, we bear fruit for God. Fruit for God looks like Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Fruit for God looks like 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where Paul says, faith, hope, and love remain. And the greatest of these is love. Love. True believers bear fruit. Not by following the rules, but by loving one another. Loving one another. And love is not opposed to any law. We'll get to this later, but Romans 13, 9 and 10 says this, where whatever other command there may be, they are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This love, it's, it's Christ's call to His disciples. In John 15, 12, He says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This love is the identifying mark of us as His people. John 13, 35, He says, By this, everyone will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. Now we could go on with that for a very, very long time because that's what we're trying to learn here, church, is how to love one another. How to live in this already and not yet. But I want to encourage you because John, John 15 connects Many of the themes that we're talking about here in Romans 7, 1 to 6, being in Christ, love, loving as we are loved, living for God, bearing fruit. They're all there in John 15. So you know what I want you to do? I want you to find somebody to read John 15 with this week and make those connections. See the overlap between John 15 and Romans 7, 1 to 6. Second thing, belonging means serving. So we serve God, Paul says, not in the old way of the written code or obeying the law, but in the new way of the Spirit. And God helps us with this. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says that God puts His His own Spirit in us to move us to carefully obey His ways. 
So we're not alone. God will help you. Now serving suggests that there are others involved. In fact, we, we, don't, we don't really even belong to Christ only as individuals. I don't think it was just random that Paul chose marriage as an example to talk about what it means to belong to Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. And together, we are His bride. Together, we belong to Him. So the question is, how are you serving Christ through the church? First, have you attached yourself to the church? To serve in the church, you need to be a member of the church. We need to know who you are and, and put yourself in. Make a covenant of love with the church. Secondly, members, are you serving when you gather or are you being served? Are you serving or are you being served? I love seeing Yaman up here playing the melodica with the music team. I, I love seeing Trenton passing out the bulletins, for instance. Look, if, if you want to find a way to serve the church, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the deacons, and we will help find a place for you to be involved. You don't have to be necessarily skilled. And if you do something that's easy, then isn't it like serving? So you don't have to do something only skilled. Well, may it be that every member serves and that we all seek to outdo one another in love. Friends, you're dead. You're dead. We will all die. And in Christ, we should die that we may truly live. If you die without Christ, you will face an eternity in endless punishment for your sins against the Holy Creator. But if you believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ, you die daily. Dying daily with Him to sin and dying also to the law, which is, which is constantly pressing on you to obey it rather than Christ. But if you believe in Christ, you not only die, you live. Not for yourself, but belonging to Christ. Bearing fruit for God. Serving by the Spirit. Friends, let's take a moment now to reflect. Consider the kind of death that you are facing. Are you through faith dying daily with Christ? Or will you die eternally in opposition to him. Let's take a moment to reflect.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not leave us alone in our sin. But as the groom, you came to us. You came to find your bride. That you might protect and provide and promote her. Lord, help us to die united with you that we may truly live with you. Amen.